It's the Jan Arden Podcast, and lots of things are happening here. It's a snowstorm in Calgary, and it's time to put up the Christmas tree. Okay, I'm going to stop now. Oh, my God. I apologize. Hello, listeners. Uh, we just, we're so happy to be here. We're all, we're smiling. We can see each other on our Zoom call. Lots going on, so let's get right to it. Uh, Caitlin, let's just start off with the the no pants that's been going on. Minnie! That's my dog. She's barking at squirrels. Because it's a winter wonderland here, I'm responsible to feed everything in my forest. I want you to know that. All the animals are like, where's the sun? Where's the grass? We need you, old lady Jan, in the woods. <laughs> I watch your Instagram stories and just laugh at the number of wildlife visitors you have on your property. There was that squirrel that seemed to have commandeered the outdoor dog bed this week. You've got a woodpecker who was single-handedly trying to take down the remainder of your tree. Deer, like I just look at the window of my condo and mostly see treetops and hear sirens. So it's kind of nice. Well, it's uh, if you guys were here, uh, I'm telling you, I would have to like lend you snowsuits and <laughs> boots and things like that. This really is unusual for this time of year. Yeah. And um, they said something that it was a record low of the last like 80 or 90 years since they've been keeping weather charts that, you know, minus 12, sort of mid-October or wherever we are, third week of October. It's a bit much, but, um, you know, there's there's good things about it too. You You feel like it's okay to just be by yourself in the trees with your little dog without feeling like you're missing out on the world. So it's somewhat helping my lack of like social connections. It's making me feel like, well, yeah, it's, it's snowy outside. I, I should be in here alone, kind of <laughs> staring at a book by myself. It's not that bad. Jan Arden, Lady of the Forest. <laughs> no, I like that, Jan Arden. I love that. You can, you you can start announcing all my tours, Adam. <laughs> and here she is, Jan Arden, Lady of the Forest. <laughs> it was kind of a good week to be hiding out in the forest, I think, though, because, boy, this was certainly a week for insane trending news. Like, there were so many stories this week that I could not possibly imagine being real, and they were. Great week for people who can't keep their <laughs> pants on. People who okay, have a let's, hard time. Let's let's start right there. Let's just go because yeah. I know you're going to talk about Rudy Giuliani. <laughs> so yeah, it starts with Jeffrey Tubin. He is CNN's uh, chief legal analyst, and he's a longtime journalist for the New Yorker. And so you figure this is like a busy guy right now. You know, he's talking a lot about the Supreme Court confirmation that's happening. He's talking a lot about the possibility of the election results in the U.S. being challenged legally. So like, this is someone who should be making the rounds right now. And instead, he's been suspended by CNN. He's also been, uh, or no, he's been suspended by the New Yorker. And he has decided to take a leave, which understandably has happened because he was caught on a work call, a Zoom work call with his colleagues, I believe at the New Yorker. And he didn't, it started by saying he didn't have his pants on. And everyone started thinking, oh, well, he was probably just, you know, like rushed over to make it to the laptop and then stood up without his pants on and thought that his microphone and his his camera were off. But what he actually was doing was um, he was touching himself <laughs> without uh, his pants on, on the call. So so how how do you have the lapse of judgment um, to, to be, I mean, we can all see our screens. We, we see our screens when we're on Zoom calls. You can see yeah. how it's framed. 
Yeah. Right. Adam's got his hands on his desk right now. You're sitting in a, in a red chair. You have a black shirt on. I can't see below your waist. So if, if I turn my camera or point it down and yeah. I can see like I have black sweatpants on or whatever. So I, I find that, you know, I have to really suspend any kind of, uh, I, I just, I don't see how it's plausible, Caitlin, for him to be, to, to him to be fondling himself and, yeah. and, and, and pleading that he didn't realize he was on camera. Like I, I think he didn't, I believe that he, he said he thought, and this was just the most, the biggest indicator that this is somebody who is like not technologically up to speed based on how much we have to use technology right now for work. He said, oh, I thought I had muted the camera. I was like, well, that's not how a camera works. But you can see yourself, right? Can't you see yourself? But like, so I don't know if he had partially you can, closed. You can, well. Like he might have partially closed the laptop lid. Like I haven't dug into the minutia. I'm honestly afraid I'm going to see a picture. So I just know that <laughs> I just know that he was caught and everyone starts saying he was caught pulling a tubin, which is the most apt description of what he was doing I've ever heard. And then um but the real question is, the real question is, why are you doing this on a work call? Like why is this something that is arousing for you? How creepy is that for your coworkers? Like it's just it's a disaster. It's so embarrassing. He had to issue a public apology on this and he sounds like he's you know, the the old creepy guy who can't work his computer. I have a once a week meeting like a zoom meeting with my team we have our mm -hmm. weekly meeting and as much as i love to see my coworkers, there's nothing arousing about the zoom call so i don't no. get why he would be glad to hear that adam yeah yes. thank you for that you're welcome yeah, i'm really i'm really glad to hear that there's nothing <laughs> arousing well listen i if it was me i'm telling you i cannot express the depth of my shame and horror like mm -hmm. i don't know if i would ever personally recover even if I no. was just caught like scooting by nude, um, <laughs> you know, late for a call. Oh. I, I can't even imagine what the circumstances would be in order for me to appear even with a side boob on a, on a call. Like I just would be mortified. Um, like I'm not nude alone. I, like at the start of the pandemic, do you guys remember, I think her name was Jennifer. She became like Zoom Jennifer and she brought her laptop into the bathroom with her and she thought that she had disabled the camera and the microphone and she was trying to stay on the work call while she peed and she wound up peeing on the toilet in front of all of her coworkers. Now, I, do remember. I, I will forgive someone like a, a moment where like, cause that's just, there's nothing intentional to me about that. Like, Everybody pees and, you know, Jan, if you scooted by with your side boob out, like, I wouldn't hold it against you. Okay. But this guy is doing this while he's on a work call. Like, there is a level of decision making that went on here that I just, like, it's, it's <laughs> creepy and it's creepy and gross. And so everyone's a level of decision making. <laughs> a level of decision making. It's oh. bizarre. And, like, everyone with this week, there were a bunch of people who, like, came to his defense and, like, that's how the world works. Everyone will view things differently. But they were like, this is, this is masturbation shaming. I was like, it is not. It is, it is work masturbation shaming, which is very, very different. <laughs> totally. <laughs> but I mean, I think what we all have to kind of imagine is if you were in a boardroom, you yes. know, uh, yes. and you know, was there stuff going on underneath the table? Uh, yeah. I think, I think the police would be involved. 
Thank I you. think I think the police would be called in to go. There's a man that is completely exposing himself and yeah. and being a public mischief at, <laughs> at the very least. But because it's online, so mm-hmm. this is this is where you're just like, how is it not kind of in the realm of being something illegal if it's online? I don't know how they go around that. Right. I, I, his, his poor coworkers. Cause like, Jan, imagine you're at like a, you're at like a table read for the Jan show and you've got all of your cast there and the writers and you just look over and there's somebody in the corner, just like being the creepy person on the bus. <laughs> like they're the local flasher at this point. I don't know what, like, I don't know. So professionally, I don't think you can come back. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome <laughs> to the Jan Arden podcast. We thought we'd just come out of the gate swinging, <laughs> swinging, no, no, <laughs> no, not swinging. Swingers, we're swingers. Um, yeah, there, there is a lot going on in the world. But anyways, Rudy Giuliani, he's the other person that is pantless in, yeah. in, in today's news. Oh, man, pants news. I never thought we'd have a week where we had two of these stories, but we did. And he was caught by Borat. And so uh, I, I don't know if everyone's aware of, but this week, Borat 2 was released. And uh, he's, you know, Sasha Baron Cohen is a master of of getting people in these outrageous moments. He's a, he is committed to outrageous satire during this film when they shot it. He actually had to stay in character for five days because he was living with conspiracy theorists in the Southern United States who didn't know about the character of Borat, thought he was a real person, and he actually lived with them for five days as Borat. So, like... This is commitment. And in the scene that Rudy Giuliani is taking part in, uh, Borat and the 24-year-old actress who plays his 15-year-old daughter in the film are trying to get an interview with him. She's posing as a very pretty journalist, and she interviews him saying, I'm a huge fan, and I would like to talk to you about Trump's response to the coronavirus. He grants her an interview. Afterwards, she says, why don't you come back for a drink at my, in my hotel room? Rudy Giuliani agrees to go back for a drink. His version of the story is that he was going to take his microphone equipment off. So he lay down on the bed in the hotel room and was trying to unfix his shirt. After he removed the microphone equipment, he had to retuck his shirt in. So he had to lie down on a bed, undo his pants and retuck his shirt in. Like, so the photo of this is brutal. It makes that's the rounds. How I, that's how I do it. I always have to just lie down to tuck my shirt in. You know, people, keep your lies simple. Because when you add details to them, they get really corny and people won't believe you. So carry on, Caitlin. Well, so Borat Borat busts in on the scene and says, he cracks this joke and he says, no, she's 15, she's too old for you. And then... Then Rudy Giuliani realizes that this has gone sideways and she is not in actuality a young reporter who's interested in having a hotel drink with him. And so this goes sideways. He says it's a total fabrication. I'm just tucking my shirt in. Every single person who's reviewed the film and seen it says that the actual play-by-play of this is much more embarrassing for him than that. And ultimately, the reason why anyone cares about this is because he's the president of the United States personal lawyer. So you're like, if you can get this gotcha moment of this caliber from a comedian, what... (laughs) Like, how safe is that for the for him yeah, representing how, you know, the president? Yeah, how safe is the is the country internationally? Like, how are you doing on uh, <laughs> any kind of foreign diplomacy or any of that? Well, you know, at least we can sit back and have a laugh. Yes. I um, 
the COVID times have have made such strange days appear before us. Uh, you're here listening to the Jan Arden podcast. I'm with Adam Karsh and, of course, Caitlin Green, who has way more to talk about today. We'll be right back. Welcome back, Jan Arden podcast. Here with pants. All of us have pants on. <laughs> All of us are acting responsibly. Listen. Getting back to what you said about, you know, you're, you're with, you're with a, a journalist. So Rudy Giuliani was with this supposed journalist being invited back to the hotel for a drink, a casual drink. Listen, we've had a great conversation for an hour about politics and all the important things that are happening in the world and in our country. Let's go have a scotch and soda. And then, you know, the shirt tucking crap that ensues. I have done... And I am not kidding you when I say this, probably close to 20,000 interviews in the last 30 years. Yeah, I believe okay, that. I'm, I'm exaggerating slightly. But, but I still say, believe it's like... No, it is. It's, it's thousands and thousands and thousands of interviews. And I know that because sometimes I do 30 a day Yeah. when I'm on a press junket. So anyone that's done press junkets knows how these things can add up. Like I've been with you for at least, I've been around you for at least 10 and I'm like quite literally never with you in person. Yeah. I just go from one thing to the other to the other. So I'm telling you right now, even if I meet a journalist in the lobby of a hotel, I'm always so, I I would never in a million years accept an invitation from a journalist, male or female, not that Mm -hmm. that makes any difference to go to a hotel room room and have a drink not a hotel lobby so let's just keep that so I just I'd never would and if I did I'd be if someone even asked me and I've never been asked so maybe maybe I'm a loser but I don't (laughs) think so um when you set yourself up for that kind of stuff I'm sorry the 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 onus is totally on on you being a stand-up person yeah he should have declined he should have declined and you're the lawyer for the president at a, a in a year, you know, in an election year. Now, I'm not exactly sure when they shot this, but it would stand to reason that if anyone on the face of the planet should be more skeptical about a journalist's intentions to talk to them off the record or to get time alone with them, even if it was a real journalist, then it wasn't some plant from Borat, which is 10 times more <laughs> embarrassing, obviously. But like you'd think that you would want to be very, very skeptical and um, very guarded. And that was the thing. Like he, he, he let his guard down because he obviously wanted the opportunity so to spend who, time alone with her in a hotel. Around? Who would be around Rudy at this time, Caitlin? Like who, who would he be there with? Would he not at, at the very least have an assistant or a driver off in the corner? I mean, it's Rudy Giuliani. Would he not have any kind of a security detail? So I, I'm trying to suspend my, my <laughs> disbelief here. But was it the man just alone? Would he not have anyone in the ears going, sir, it's really not a good idea. So th- this is where I, I get so lost in these kinds of stories. Like I haven't yet watched the scene and I definitely will because I want okay, to see I have so- to now. Yeah, I want to see so much of what happens in this movie, even though um, we'll talk in a minute about why this kind of thing like makes so many people uncomfortable, Jan, you being one of them. But like, I really think that sometimes you have those personality types and like political figure or not, where you can't get through to them. 
And the people who are closest to them that they've surrounded themselves with are like, yes, people exclusively. Yeah. And so they never stop them. They'll all be like, oh yeah, she's into you, Rudy. Or who knows what somebody closest to him would have said. But like, <laughs> oh I, yeah, she's into you, Rudy. Can and, you just imagine him saying that into the lapel of his coat? Oh yeah, <laughs> you're stewing. Rudy, like, she, she, she's into you. Uh, go for it. And now <laughs> use, the, use the shirt tucking thing if it all goes to hell. <laughs> and so you never know right like if he didn't have a like because maybe he'd kick somebody who who was going to give him the straight goods out of his inner circle because after a while they'd rub him the wrong way I didn't mean that as it came out but um but yeah. why do why do we take such glee or find such glee in people failing like in, in yeah I think you know everybody always laughs when you see a poor woman standing on a street corner on a windy day and her skirt's blowing up one side. She gets that down. It blows up the other side. I mean, she's got pantyhose on, which is never a great look, right? <laughs> or, or someone that gets, that falls off a ladder or those video shows that really show nothing, but you know, people having their wieners and beans like knocked <laughs> on a, 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 like a stick or a kid that the, the kid is throwing a ball and he hits his dad in the crotch. Like totally. we, all set, we all take such glee in physical and emotional pain and embarrassment. And I'm just wondering why, like, yeah, the whole thing, like what you were saying, Caitlin, I'm, I watched the first Borat movie and I just feel it's like the office 2.0. It's like watching the office with Ricky Gervais back yes. in the day when it first came out and you're just head in hands. You're, it's so cringeworthy. That's the word for this, right? Cringeworthy. Yes. So yeah. Borat <laughs> is such a brilliant, I, I think he's a brilliant humanitarian. I like you. I think he <laughs> shines a light on misogyny, on homophobia, xenophobia, all the phobias. I think yeah. he, he makes people he shows them in a very clear light of who they actually are. And he does it in a way that, like you said, it's absolutely brilliant. And he's been accused of all kinds of things, you know, uh, of being uh, kind of pointing his, his nose up at marginalized people or people that aren't particularly intelligent. And I would defend him to the ends of it because even seeing stuff that he's done over the years, he's so friggin' smart that he just shows people to be the racists that they are, um, the, the cruel people that they are. And maybe that's why it's, it's fun, but like I said, very cringeworthy to watch. It's cringe comedy all the way through, and it's just such outrageous satire. And I totally understand that the, like half of the people who honestly can't watch it because it makes them too uncomfortable. And I won! Yeah, I get it. And like sense of humor is so subjective. You know, I have a very dark sense of humor. So I get when people ne don't necessarily find what I find funny, funny. I think humor is incredibly subjective. And I, I find it hard personally to be offended by by humor. That's just the way like my brain works, but it's totally personal. Um, but he is such a great conduit for so many important issues. Yes. And he's, it's the combination of He's dealing with important issues in the cheapest laugh way, in the dumbest possible way when yeah. it comes to like jokes about his creme or his like crotch, you know, stupid sex jokes. Um, and it's like, it's the combination of the high and low that I think works so well for him. And also just the commitment to these characters and the inventiveness of coming up with all of them, like Bora, Bruno, Ali G, like the list goes on. He's just got so many amazing uh, characters that he's created. He's just, he's a brilliant comedian. He really is. 
Um, you are listening to the Jan Arden podcast. We've got lots left to talk about. Don't go away. Welcome back, Jan Arden podcast. Caitlin, Adam, me. Just in closing, to just give us some closure on this issue of doing things in front of cameras, be it at a Zoom meeting, you know, holding your Johnson or, um, um, sorry, I don't know how to get rid of this. Just like that, I think. Is that how you do it? There we go. <laughs> There's people trying to get a hold of me. Okay. I'm very popular. That was Rudy Giuliani trying to phone me to put a, to put a kibosh on this podcast. So, and then further that, what we were talking about in the break is Rudy, they, they've had cameramen all day around them, right? Yeah, yeah. So he's, Rudy's there on his interview. Then they go to the hotel room. There's mm-hmm. still cameras there. So this is where it gets cloudy for me. Anyway, Caitlin was saying, you know, to me, they, they just somehow compartmentalize it and they don't think about the optics of the cameraman still there. You're laying on a bed. You're tucking your sh- The cameraman is still there. So mm-hmm. anyway, we'll move on. I don't know why people forget about being filmed or. But I have to say, <sighs> think about reality TV shows. And again, like a person who agrees to go on a reality TV show, I do think is like a different brand of human than your average person. They want to be famous. Definitely. But they agree to go on it. They agree to have their entire life inclusive of probably some sexy moments, probably some moments of just being in the bathroom. (laughs) Like they agree to have this all filmed. And I have a friend who was a camera operator for years and years and years. And he worked on a reality show um, I don't want to say which one, but let's just say it takes place in a house. And so in, uh-huh. as a part of him filming, he would have to be in the walls of this quote unquote house to get around and see different things happening. And these people know that they're being filmed at all times. And the stuff they still try to get away with is quite laughable because like you'll just hear about, you know, someone trying to get away with a little something, something under a blanket. And they know that they're on a reality show where their whole life is being filmed and they still are trying to do it. So some people just can't help themselves. Maybe they're just not that bright. I don't know. I, anyway, moving on. <laughs> um, just be careful out there, folks. Just be careful and just make sure when you're on your meetings that you have clothes on. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for wearing a shirt, Adam. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Adam. You're very welcome. I'm holding my hands up here for the rest of the show so that you can see them at all times. No, I know. <laughs> we we are decent, decent, kind people, and we would never do that to each other. No. That we, that we know of. Um, <laughs> I had some big news this week, and I know it's horrible to talk about yourself in any way, and, and yes, I'm selling something, but not really because I'm just super excited for our entire team. Um, the Jan show, which is well into its second season, um, got picked up by Hulu in the States, which means, yeah, so we will start streaming early 2021, uh, seasons one and two will start playing down there. And, uh, it's great for myriad reasons, but it's great for Canadian television. It's great for comedy. It's great for, um, Canada exporting its really great programming all over the world so i mean schitt's creek i can't say enough good things about schitt's creek um nine emmy awards a few weeks ago um dan levy and the entire cast walked away with everything i thought we were being punked in the emmys i thought (laughs) 
I thought the Emmys was going to stop and say, just kidding, because the first seven awards all went to Schitt's Creek. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, it's exciting to think that we'll have a whole new group of people kind of watching and seeing Calgary. Like, it's weird. Yeah, that's what I was going to say, because, you know, like your show isn't set in some like in anonymous city or it's not set in a big like, you know, Toronto or, or a big U.S. city even, right, which could which could happen. And um, I think it's just cool that they'll be learning about Calgary and seeing kind of like that part of Canada, because so much of the U.S., I feel like they just imagine us being all the exact same thing. Like we're all like living in igloos and we're obsessed with hockey and we just have a Tim Hortons cup glued to our hands, but they forget how regional Canada is and how different the West is from, you know, from the East and Ontario, Quebec, whatever. It's just so cool. I'm so excited to see what the response will be from Americans. Yeah. It's, it's interesting too. And I, I, um, I'm really proud of the cast. I think, I think our storyline of having, sort of the matriarch of this family, of the Jan Show family, having Alzheimer's dementia mm-hmm. and having a laugh about it. I mean, mm-hmm. imagine that they figure there's 800,000 people going through that in Canada with mem- yeah. having someone in their family with memory loss. So that grows exponentially in the United States. I mean, you're dealing with millions and millions of people yes. that are dealing with someone with memory loss. And I'm always wondering how impactful that will be because we always try and be very factual about how you deal with getting your your grandparent or your mom or your husband tested. And we've really done research. The writers certainly have dug into how they do those cognitive tests. So I don't know. I'm, the, I'm proud of the show in many, many ways. The, the sexuality issues in the show, that it's so fluid and that we don't really address that um, in any kind of a big announcement way. Here she is. She's... She's got boyfriends and girlfriends and let's make an announcement. And I, and I find that to be truly a Canadian thing too. Not that we are without problems here, not that we are without homophobia and, and um, you know, still fighting for equality in the, in the transgender community, all of that. Like we, we yeah. have our own issues. I'm not making light of that. But just that, you know, once again, there's a Canadian show that's just kind of, crossing all the T's and dotting the I's and making people think. So anyway, I'm really looking forward to it. And I like that also too, like with Schitt's Creek, I feel like all age groups are kind of represented on the show as well, which is like a new thing that has been super successful on television shows. But it's like you have obviously much younger cast members all the way up to, you know, the woman who plays your mother. And so I think that that's great because, you know, such a wider audience, such a broader demo that you can hit by including a different age group for, for every single person. It's great. I'm, I love that. I love that also too. It's such a good time. I think to be releasing any kind of content on a streaming service because people are sitting at home. They'll be sitting at home for the foreseeable future (laughs) and you're just watching everything. So you're running out of content. Yeah. What did you guys watch when you were kids, Adam? Like what, I mean, television has changed so much. I just remember Carol Burnett, all in the family, Mary Tyler Moore, but what, what were you watching? You, you were younger than me. So what I'd say a lot of cartoons, like all the Bugs Bunny Roadrunner cartoons. Uh, I watched the Flintstones and the Jetsons, all that stuff. But I remember like, as I got a little bit older, like, you know, in terms of, um, uh, like uh, comedies, I watched Three's Company. I was obsessed with that show. I mean, think about the premise with Three's Company. <laughs> they didn't oh, yeah. go anywhere. You know, comedies now oh. are so cutting edge. They're all location. They're they're moving around. Um, but those sitcoms had live audiences. Yep. They had three cameras that were, sh- they were learning their lines and almost doing it 
in a theatrical way. And that was how most television was done for 30 years. I mean, the Dick Van Dyke show, I'm really dating myself now, but um, all that early television, the spinoffs, the Golden Girls. I Damn. love the Golden Girls, love the Golden Girls. <laughs> Thank you for being a friend. But when, you know, I, I mean, I've been watching them too. I started back on the very first season because my road manager, Chris, is obsessed with the Golden Girls. I mean, he's got, he their, he's got their candles set. He's got their T-shirts, their pajamas, like the Golden Girls lunch kits, like whatever comes out Golden Girls, he buys it. But I was very curious, I think, because of doing the Jan show, I thought, I'm going to start watching that. Mm-hmm. Everything takes place in a room. Right. Yeah. And I just thought about the challenges that a director must have had to keep it fresh. But I'll tell you what, it was in the writing. There are so many zingers. And I mean, there is a joke every second line. Totally. It's like click, click, boom, click, click, boom. There's no long, arduous setups for a joke. It is, everything they said was hilarious. Yep. Totally. Did you watch, and this is not a, a sitcom, uh, I used to watch The Love Boat. I disagree, Adam. I think it was a, I think it was a, a comedy. Wasn't it like well, was a it dramedy? A maybe. It was a dramedy. Maybe. maybe. No, it was like, it was light. It was pretty light. Well, all of that stuff was light. I mean, Charlie's Angels. But still, it's, television has come such a long way. And like Caitlin was saying, because we've all been home, the content that yeah. everybody has sped through, I know everyone's always looking like, what have I not seen yet? Mm-hmm. I signed up for Acorn Television. I signed up for BritBox. I signed up for Disney. I signed up for Apple TV. Yep. So I've got to start canceling this stuff because I'm doing like $60 a month in, yeah. you know, fees for watching stuff. If you're listening to the Jan Arden podcast. We're going to be right back. Okay, Come Adam. I heard you singing a little bit. Like a sing. Come and knock sing. on our door. Where oh the kisses God. are hers and hers and his three's company too. Oh, Caitlin's going to jump in. Listen, do, do I have it, competition here? No, I'm a, I'm no. an alto. You don't want me to jump in. <laughs> well, it's amazing how many songs we remember. Like, uh, love boat, soon we'll be making another, <laughs> another love I love that. <laughs> Something adventure for everyone. I don't even know, but I, I think we know more of these songs than we want to admit. Dukes yeah. of Hazard, I watch too. I miss all these shows. I miss oh, them all. Caitlin, you're so young. You're like <laughs> 21 years old. No, you're not. But <laughs> what, were not. You, what were you watching? Um, I watched like my version of those shows would probably have been like, you know, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air and, uh, loved it, you know, and then like all the like full house and all those types of shows that were around at that time. Uh, those were two big ones, I think growing up for sure. I was weird though. I love, I really liked was, I was a comedy nerd kind of quickly. Like I loved, um, Britcoms, British sitcoms when I was a kid. Really? Yeah, my parents loved them. And I think that was because my grandparents on my mom's side were were very British in their like sensibilities. And on on Saturday nights, PBS or Channel 18 here in Toronto would always air these back-to-back block of British sitcoms. And it was things like Are You Being Served and Keeping Up Appearances and Chef and whatever, One Foot in the Grave, like even like Faulty Towers. And I just loved it. I love British comedy. I love Monty Python. I listened to like all their comedy albums. And I really love Late Night TV. 
TV. Like I loved, I grew up being obsessed with Conan O'Brien and David Letterman, like lived for SNL. I wasn't supposed to watch it when I was younger, but I'd watch every single episode of SNL. I just thought, I just loved laughs. Like I love, I've always just thought comedy you, was You best. can't tell me that that didn't inform your mind as you went forward. You were an only child. Yeah. And I don't care what anyone says. There's, there's a, a, a level of intelligence in comedy that really is palpable, like a well-written joke. I think, I think funny people, like really funny people are incredibly smart. And, and I, and they play I around a lot, right? Like they, yeah. they, like, and there's something like comedy, there's something for everyone. Like I love a silly comedy, but I love a dark joke and I like physical comedy, but I think, you know, observational comedy is just as good and loved Seinfeld. Like, I just think there's nothing better than a big laugh. And so, you know, that was kind of all I ever really thought about was, was what was funny. Oh, I, I mean, previous to, to what you were watching, it was a little earlier on, but the Carol Burnett show yeah. really was something that, that I look hilarious. forward to every week. It was hilarious, Adam. Hilarious. Um, and I think, I think she was such a, she was like a light in the dark for so many young women, especially, mm-hmm. I think, coming up through comedy. Because in the 60s and 70s, I didn't see a lot of female comedians not that I was I mean I was very very young I was you know eight nine years old in the late 60s but Carol Burnett she every female comedian that that talks about their influences talks about Carol Burnett Mm -hmm. kind of kicking the doors wide open and doing her stuff but I mean you think about comedy now as opposed to what it used to be there is some dark friggin comedy out there like so many comedians have found themselves in trouble with their humor it's like yeah. you can only go so far and then you push it and all of a sudden the entire world is canceling you <laughs> like i don't oh, know yeah. if if uh, louis ck will ever really um come back to where he was maybe i'm wrong maybe he deserves pass. a second chance yeah he has to be one of my and like you know the pre-cancellation or whatever i've seen him in 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 like i've seen his live shows loved him um just a genius comedy writer and he goes really dark and he always has, and he says things just to shock people. And that's kind of what he's always done. He just goes to these really, really strange places in his mind. And to me, they're hilarious. So how did, how did he get so far without those checks and balances? Because I feel like it just happened overnight. And I know it was the, once again, the, you know, fooling around with himself in front of other people yeah, we're trying. We're trying not to say anything too <laughs> horrible on the radio every <laughs> second clean. word, but uh, yes. yeah, we're trying to keep it clean here. But how how did the humor? Because I watched his routines. I didn't see him live, but I saw a lot of his specials over the years. And I would even like. I don't need. I felt like, why am I watching this? Because as a woman, I just feel completely berated, <laughs> and everyone's kind of uncomfortably laughing. So why did it get that far down the pike? Do you think? Yeah. I mean, it's, it reminds me a little bit like, I mean, they're very different comedians, but like Bill Burr, you know, he says stuff that can be incredibly offensive, but I, I laugh at him. I find him very funny at times and I don't view comedy the same way as I do. I view a conversation between two people. I don't view it as a conversation I'm overhearing at work. This is certainly not a politician. This is a comedian. And what they're trying to do is get you to laugh however they can, if that means freak you out or make you outraged. Or, you know, I think back on like, 
great, great comedians over the years. Um, like, you know, like Richard Pryor, he's not saying safe stuff. Like he was not saying safe stuff. And so the notion of like making comedy super safe in terms of your act now, personal life is different, but I don't like a safe act for comedy. That's just me. Um, I agree with you. Yeah. I think there should be. Did you watch uh, either of you guys watch uh, the first Hannah Gatsby special on Netflix? I did. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, she's a, an Australian comedian, mm-hmm. um, and she she openly admits right from the top of her show that you know this isn't all this isn't what you think it's going to be. So there are absolutely jokes and uncomfortable laughing that cringeworthy humor that mm-hmm. I really feel like has been a real benchmark to 2019, 2020, especially going now. I think humor has gotten quite dark. But mm-hmm. she builds her show around an assault that happened to her. Mm-hmm. And she builds the audience up. You know, we're laughing with her. And then with the swift dropping of this hammer, she takes us into this world where it, you're like, am I supposed to be laughing? at What am I supposed to be doing? And I have found this kind of humor to be, uh, getting back to the Sasha Cohen Barron stuff, is educational comedy comedy that really does enlighten and point a light at parts of society that are flawed really flawed yeah because we're laughing at uncomfortable things but if you haven't seen the hannah gatsby stuff i highly recommend it you will laugh and you'll also learn a thing or two about being a human being and i love that kind of humor yeah and i mean the other thing too with comedy is it's you know you don't have to watch it Right. Like that's the other part of it. Um, No one told me that Caitlin, (laughs) but I always find it funny. Like, you know, Ricky Gervais has this great, and maybe we can even like drop a clip of this in, but he has this great bit in his act about people who follow him on social media. And I think this is from humanity. But again, that's what the world is like. People take everything personally. I think the world revolves around them, right? Particularly on Twitter, right? I don't know. I'm not tweeting anyone. I'm just tweeting, okay? I don't know who's following me. I've got 12 million followers. I don't know who's following me. They can be following me without me knowing, right? Choose to read my tweet and then take that personally. That's like going into a town square, seeing a big notice board, and there's a notice, guitar lessons, and you go, but I don't want guitar lessons. If you don't like something that's part of the world of entertainment, you don't need to comment on it. You don't, just keep it moving. You, the way you change that is by not paying attention to it. If I don't find someone funny and I think they're offensive, I'm never going to watch them. Exactly. I mean, my, my Twitter feed, I treat very much the same way. All my socials. Um, I have people, I swear a lot. I say the F word a lot on Twitter. I go after people a lot. I tell people to F off on Twitter. I just say, hey, Liz, F you. And I, I'll say it. <laughs> I saw that this week. Yeah. <laughs> and I just, I have no qualms about it. And you know what? If you don't want to follow me, don't follow me. This is my feed. And I also will block immediately. Some people disagree with me. They're like, oh, they're getting attentions, you know, the, the attention that they want. I block immediately, like first sign of trouble. And I will block people that go after other people. Yeah. Like I've had people come up to me in the street and I've talked about this on this show before. I'll be in li- a lineup at a grocery store and someone will say, you know, they'll say, hi, you, you blocked my sister-in-law on, <laughs> on Twitter. And I'm like, well, she must've done something, Well, she doesn't know what she did. Like, like I've had people say, can you, can you refollow me? I'm like, no, this, this, it, you're done now. 
Like go terrorize somebody else. And that's exactly that. I don't, you know, I'm not following you. Yes. I'm not following you home. You're following me home. So if you don't like what I, I I find that so counterintuitive to be coming after somebody's Twitter and being offended by it. Like, well, you looked it up and looked at it and are reading it. I've never understood that. This is not a, this is not a public figure. This is not a politician. This is not an elected official who, who controls your tax dollars, who is going to change parts of society. Um, you know, this is, these are entertainers. And if they, if you don't find them entertaining and you don't like what they're offering, that's the beauty of being able to go and watch and laugh at and engage with somebody who closer reflects your views. And that's fine. But we've entered this weird world where everyone thinks you should care if they like you or should care what they think about you or should care what you think they think about your art that you're putting out. Like, believe me, nobody cares. And certainly no one's opinion's ever been changed by social media. Like people writing to celebrities saying they don't like something they've done. It's just like yelling into an abyss. And I just think to myself, what a waste of your energy. Like, and I just imagine that they're not a very happy person in their real life and they must not feel very seen and heard in their real life to be like, think about yelling at Chrissy Teigen on Twitter. If you are yelling, if you are yelling at Chrissy Teigen on Twitter, you need to reevaluate every single thing you do with your energy because it's just not worth it for you. Like, why are you doing that? Well, there was a day when I think people could write letters to corporations or television networks or to, uh, you know, some kind of product that Canadian Tire had out. And they would get leverage. Like, these people would read these things and they'd be like, pull it from the shelf. (laughs) Take those gumballs off. Uh, You know, (laughs) people got so reactionary. And that doesn't work that way anymore. You know, there are people that sit and they just, if you go into their Twitter feeds, that's what they're doing all day long is they're berating celebrities. They're berating people. They're, they're trying to cause a disruption. Anyway, we're not trying to cause a disruption. We're really glad you're here. This has been like a fast show today. We talked about a lot of zany stuff. Um, Thanks for coming with us folks. As always hit subscribe on your favorite uh, streaming outlets. That means that you'll be reminded about our podcast every week. You won't have to go looking for us. We appreciate you so much. Um, Write us, let us know if you ever want to talk about anything or want us to talk about anything. Uh, We appreciate it a lot. Adam Karsh, Caitlin Green, Janard Podcast. This podcast is distributed by the Women in Media Podcast Network. Find out more at womeninmedia.network.